Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a feeling like this? Roy Robertson wrote, he said, My ship, the West Virginia, docked at Pearl Harbor on the evening of the 6th of December 1941. A couple of the fellows and I left the ship that night and attended a Bible study. About 15 sailors sat in a circle on the floor. The leader asked each of us to recite our favorite scripture verse. Has that ever happened to you? In turn, each sailor shared a verse and briefly commented on it. He said, I sat there in complete terror. I couldn't recall a single verse of scripture. Finally, I remembered one verse. John 3.16. You know it? God so loved the world. He's sitting there, and one by one, each of the sailors is saying their verse, and it's gradually getting closer and closer to him. And he's not really listening to the other sailors, because he's going through this verse over and over in his mind to make sure he gets it right. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. You know what it's like when you sit in there? It's like when you have to recite the Lord's Prayer. You Immediately your mind thinks, does trespasses come before daily bread or after daily bread? I can't remember it. I've said it a thousand times, but... Which is which? And in the moment you start panicking. So he's sitting there thinking, Roy is, over and over this verse. Then it comes to the guy sitting right next to him, his time next. And the guy says, my verse is John 3, 16. <laughs> ah. The guy comments on the verse. And then a few late, minutes later, everyone will know that he can't even remember a single verse that no one else has taken. He said, later that night I went to bed thinking, Robertson, you're a fake. Even though you've been in church the whole of your life up to this point, you've been to services three times a week, still, you're a fake. At 7.55am the next morning, he was awakened by the ship's alarm, ordering us to battle stations, he says. 360 planes of the Japanese Imperial Fleet were attacking the ships and other military installations at Pearl Harbor. You know what happened. He said, my crew and I raced to our machine gun emplacement, but all we had was practice ammunition. So for the first 15 minutes of the two-hour battle, we only fired blanks hoping to scare the Japanese aeroplanes. As I stood there firing fake ammunition, I thought, Robertson, this is how your whole life has been, firing blanks for Christ. I made up my mind, he said, as the Japanese bullets slammed into our ship. He said, Lord, if I escape with my life, I'll get serious about following you. Roy Robertson was one of the people that ended up starting Navigators and has done so much other Christian ministry since. But that is a stark reality of Christian community. If we're honest, how many of us would say, you know what, when it comes right down to it, when I look at my own life, I'm actually firing blanks when it comes to who I am with Christ. And I think that's no more so than when we think about the joy that we should have as believers. I was away on holiday last week, came back. Number of phone calls I had this week. David, 
Welcome back. We missed you. That's the always the opening line. It's always a good start. Yeah, oh, thank you. How was your holiday? Yeah, really good, thank you. And then there's something then that goes on to say, you know what? Can you fix this for me? Can you do that for me? This wasn't quite right. That wasn't quite right. David, and it's a litany of complaints and things that are not quite right. How often have I heard in the link after the service, and we've probably all been guilty at some point, we come out after singing praises to God, but the next minute we're going, oh, I just need to catch you because... And then we start complaining about something or other. Joy. Our lives are supposed to be full of joy. And yet so often our world is seeking for joy in all the wrong places. And we don't necessarily do a good job in showing people where true joy is to be found. I'm going to show you a video that just kind of describes what I'm talking about. This came out two weeks ago on the internet. It's had over 34 million hits in two weeks. And it's talking about, I think, about the important things in life. Take a quick look at this. I have 422 friends, yet I'm lonely. I speak to all of them every day, yet none of them really know me. The problem I have sits in the spaces between, looking into their eyes or at a name on a screen. I took a step back and opened my eyes. I looked around and realised that this media we call social is anything but when we open our computers and it's our doors we shut. All this technology we have, it's just an illusion. Community, companionship, a sense of inclusion. Yet, when you step away from this device of delusion, you awaken to see a world of confusion. A world where we're slaves to the technology we mastered, where information gets sold by some rich, greedy bastard. A world of self-interest, self-image, self-promotion, where we all share our best bits, but leave out the emotion. We're at our most happy with an experience we share. But is it the same if no one is there? Be there for your friends, and they'll be there too. But no one will be if a group message will do. We edit and exaggerate, crave adulation. We pretend not to notice the social isolation. We put our words into order until our lives are glistening. We don't even know if anyone is listening. Being alone isn't a problem. Let me just emphasise, if you read a book, paint a picture, or do some exercise, you're being productive and present, not reserved and recluse. You're being awake and attentive and putting your time to good use. So when you're in public and you start to feel alone, put your hands behind your head, step away from the phone. You don't need to stare at your menu or at your contact list. Just talk to one another. Learn to coexist. I can't stand to hear the silence of a busy commuter train where no one wants to talk through the fear of looking insane. We're becoming unsocial. It no longer satisfies to engage with one another and look into someone's eyes. We're surrounded by children who, since they were born, have watched us living like robots and think it's the norm. It's not very likely you'll make world's greatest dad if you can't entertain a child without using an iPad. When I was a child, I'd never be home. Be out with my friends on our bikes, we'd roam. I'd wear holes in my trainers and graze up my knees. We'd build our own clubhouse high up in the trees. Now the park's so quiet, it gives me a chill. See no children outside and the swings hanging still. There's no skipping, no hopscotch, no church and no steeple. We're a generation of idiots, smartphones and dumb people. 
shut down the display. Take in your surroundings, make the most of today. Just one real connection is all it can take to show you the difference that being there can make. Be there in the moment that she gives you the look that you remember forever as when love overtook. The time she first holds your hand or first kiss your lips. The time you first disagree and still love her to bits. The time you don't have to tell hundreds of what you've just done because you want to share this moment with just this one. The time you sell your computer so you can buy a ring for the girl of your dreams who is now the real thing. The time you want to start a family and the moment when you first hold your little girl and get to fall in love again. The time she keeps you up at night and all you want is rest. And the time you wipe away the tears as your baby flees the nest. The time your baby girl returns with a boy for you to hold. And the time he calls you granddad and makes you feel real old. The time you've taken all you've made just by giving life attention. And how you're glad you didn't waste it by looking down at some invention. The time you hold your wife's hand and sit down beside her bed. You tell her that you love her, lay a kiss upon her head. She then whispers to you quietly, as her heart gives a final beat, that she's lucky she got stopped by that lost boy in the street. But none of these times ever happened. You never had any of this. When you're too busy looking down, you don't see the chances you miss. your phone, shut down those displays. We have a finite existence, a set number of days. Don't waste your life getting caught in the net, as when the end comes, nothing's worse than regrets. I'm guilty too of being part of this machine, this digital world we are heard but not seen, where we type as we talk and we read as we chat, where we spend hours together without making eye contact. So don't give in to a life where you follow the hype, give people your love, don't give them your like. Disconnect from the need to be heard and defined. Go out into the world, leave distractions behind. Look up from your phone, shut down that display. Stop watching this video, live life the real way. It's good, isn't it? As he turns back his iPad. <laughs> What's it really saying? It's saying actually there's more to life than the life that we're now living. We're going to start a series looking together in the book of Philippians. Because Philippians is the most amazing, joyful book. And over the next few weeks we're going to read through it together and mine its depths. About how that joy of life, joy of being a believer in Christ can be in us. And how we can share that together. Paul visited Philippi in about AD 51. And if you remember in Acts 16, he was uh, in Philippi and he was there. And uh, Lydia, the purple uh, cloth seller, became a believer. And then there was this slave girl that came around and said, like, Hey, he knows about Jesus, he knows about Jesus. And, and if the, uh, all, all the, uh, the temple things that were going on, they all started to get a Paul and, and they ended up throwing Paul and Silas in prison because he was causing a disturbance and ruining the local economy because he was bringing people to know Jesus. And so what they did was in prison they were sitting there having a sing-song. They started 
Him and Silas were just saying, hey, let's sing, we're here, we may as well sing for a bit. So they started remembering all the songs they could. And they were singing together. And about midnight, while it was singing, a big earthquake happened, and the jail doors fell open, the chains came off them, and they could have walked out, but they stayed. Now the jailer was feeling for his life, because in those days the jailer was responsible for his life for the the prisoners. If a prisoner escaped, the jailer would be killed. That was his, it was his responsibility, his life on the line for those that he kept in his jail. And so he feared he was going to have to kill himself and his family because Paul and Silas had escaped. But Paul and Silas, when he found them, were still sitting there and they said, no, we're not going nowhere. Why do we need to worry? And he gave his life and the life of his household to the Lord. Ten years later, Paul is in prison in Rome. He's under house arrest. He's chained physically to a guard, centurion, to a, uh, an officer. And he's awaiting trial before Caesar himself. And he gets word from Epaphroditus who's come from the church in Philippi that Paul started those ten years before with his ministry, short ministry there, before he had to leave. And he comes with news and Paul is in prison, he's there and they bring a gift to him and from that he writes the letter to the Philippians and sends it back with Timothy. It's 104 verses and 14 times in those 104 verses he talks about joy. Here he is in prison. His his experiences of Philippi weren't exactly brilliant because he was locked away in prison. And here he is in prison again and yet he pens a letter that is a thankful note for the gift that they sent to him plus a note full of joy. Because joy does not depend on circumstance. Joy depends on what is inside of you. And as we read it together, I pray that all of us will get to experience and understand and become part of who we are, some of the joy that we see in Paul's life and what he describes in the life of Christ. So let's look at it together. Philippians chapter 1. Lord, as we come to your word again this morning, just for a few moments, we ask that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit. That we might, as we over the next few weeks, read through the whole of the book of Philippians, that we might understand, not just in our heads, but at the core of our beings, that we would become joyful people that we would be characterised by joy. That when people see us outside, regardless of what we're going through in our own lives, that they would say, I don't understand how come they can be so joyful. How come they have so much joy in their hearts and in their lives? They're different. Because of the joy that you have placed within us. Help us as we read. And as we meditate on your word together. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints of Christ Jesus in Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the introduction that Paul brings. And then we're going to look at verses 3 to 11, because in 3 to 11 he describes, I think, at the outset, the characteristics that are required within us to be kind of like the soil in which the bulbs of joy can be planted. If we don't have these characteristics within us, then there will be no joy. 
Because joy is dependent on the soil around it to help it to grow and to flourish and to burst forth. Paul says this, verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. First thing we notice, he says, I thank God, my God, every time I remember you. Paul was a guy of thanksgiving. He begins his word to them by saying, I thank God. Thanksgiving. Why? He's thanking God. His focus is heavenward. And when your focus is heavenward, there is nothing but thanksgiving that comes out. There's a song we used to sing, Count my blessings, name them one by one. See you, I can't remember it all. See what God has done, something like that. See, was it? I was surprised what the Lord has done, that's it. It's a good way to start. How often when we pray do we suddenly go, Lord, you know, I mean Paul could have done that. Lord, I'm in prison here, I don't deserve this. Lord, get me out of here. Lord, you've given me all these gifts and abilities. Why can't I go to the church in Rome? Why can't I strengthen them? Why did you send me here just to be under house arrest, you know, shackled to some beefy soldier right next to me who doesn't want to be shackled to me? Lord, get me out of here. And he could have been a letter of kind of, this is the situation I find myself in. Guys, pray for me because I'm like this. But no, he starts by saying, looking heavenward and saying, Thank you, God. Thank you. I thank God every time I remember you. Every time I think about the church there, it just brings thanksgiving in my heart. And that is the the first characteristic that we need to have. Thanksgiving. Because a lack of thanksgiving robs us of joy. I heard about a couple who were driving had a quite a long distance to go and they were driving out in the country and they realised that the lady was driving, the guy was sitting next and doing the map thing and telling them where to go and as she was driving she realised that the, uh, the petrol gauge nearly came down to empty. So they started searching for a local petrol station, they found this little country station and they pulled in there and unbeknownst to her she pulled in to the full serve side rather than the self-serve side. So this guy comes running out and he opens it up, starts filling up the car before she realises what's going on. Fills the car up, pays the bill. In the meantime, the guy's sitting there going like, I wonder how much more this cost us. Full serve's expensive, you know. You've got to pay for the guy to come out and fill your car up. And he's there going, that cost us 5p a litre extra. Over the whole tank, that's like 20 quid. That's 20 pounds more than we should have paid, or 10 pounds, whatever it was. And then he starts calculating in his mind as they're driving away. I wonder how many miles we could have got extra if only she had pulled into the self serve And he's calculating the number of miles they could have travelled with that extra £10 in their pocket. Before they came in to that petrol station, they were chatting together, they were singing, they were looking out the window, they were having a great time. 
when the woman drove away, she was still having a great time driving. She was still looking at the beautiful countryside. But what happened to that guy? Joy disappeared. And he started becoming negative and thinking, and he was wise enough not to mention it to his wife, of course. (laughs) But still that joy was robbed from within him. He started taking on a critical attitude and a critical spirit. And the joy and the harmony of being together and going on this journey together suddenly separated. He sold it effectively for £10, £20. It's like Esau selling his birthright for a bowl of soup. How ridiculous is that? And yet we do it all the time. We sell our joy, the joy of Christ, because we allow other things to come in the way. And the first way to stop that is to be thankful. I thank God every time I remember you. I don't start looking at the problems and the issues and the other things, I just start with thanksgiving. And prayer is the avenue. And what do I thank God for? It says, I thank God that you were in partnership with the gospel from the first day until now. And not only till now, I'm going to thank God for the future for you as well. Paul knew how to keep that attitude of thanksgiving in his heart. Start with thanksgiving. When you pray, when you talk, when you just sit and think about things, is thanksgiving the first thing that you're doing, that you're giving? Melina started it with her prayers today. I never told her anything about what I was going to say, but thank you God. We thank you God. Even sounded funny, one bit where she prayed, I thank you God for those who are mourning, she said. But it's right. Because God can provide. God is right there. We still have that attitude of thanksgiving in our hearts and in our lives. That's the first thing he does and he remembers. The first part of the soil that needs to be in us. The second is this, in those same verses. The second is confidence. Verse 6, being confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The second characteristic we need is confidence. Confidence because we are in a partnership with God. Look what he says. He says, first of all, that you're in a partnership, being confident that he who began a good work, God started it. It says, in you will carry it on. God continues it. And he will bring it to completion. God completes it. And so we're not alone. Our confidence depends not on you or on me, but on Christ Jesus. Because God began it, God is working in it right now, and God will bring it to completion. It's like when people talk about ministers gathered together. Frightening experience. But anyway... They gather together. And generally, the thing that really grates with me is when they talk about my church. I'm like, gang, since when was it your church? When did you buy this place? When did you own it? Why is it in my church? It's not your church. I always try. You have permission to correct me anytime I do it as well. I always ne- try never to say my church. Because it's a... M- Bad, bad habit to get into. 
Because you start saying it, you start thinking it. You start thinking it, you start figuring that what happens at Trinity is down to me. It's not down to me. And thankfully, it's not down to the board or down to you guys either, it's down to God. We're in a partnership with God. God was at Trinity in 1660 when he started it. When he moved it from the centre of London up to here, when he joined the churches together. And you know what? God will be in Trinity Church when all of us are in some graveyard somewhere. Because it's his church and it's his work. He started it. He's doing the work right through and he will complete it. And it's not down to you or down to me. We have a role to play in it because we are partners with God. But it is not dependent upon us. And it's true for his church and it's true for our lives too. It's true for wherever we work, whatever we do. We are in partnership with Jesus Christ. And so when, when God calls me away from Trinity to something else, I will go there and I'm not going to look back, I'm going to look forward. Why? Because I'm in partnership with him for the next stage of the journey of my life that he's called me to go and accomplish. And it's the same for you too. What he wants me to do this week is in partnership with what he has ordained is going to happen this coming week and I am in partnership with him to see it through. But the results are not down to me alone. They are down to me allowing God to work through me, allowing God to influence the things around me, allowing God to empower me in partnership with him to complete what he wants me to do. And we need to have that kind of mentality. Because so often we start thinking that it's down to us. That this is our church, this is our business, this is our stuff. And we do that all the time, in so many different ways. And Paul says it's got nothing to do with you, you're in partnership with Christ. We are not the ones that bring reward, success and so on. Whether it be in business, in church, in our private lives, in relationships, it's all down to our partnership with Jesus Christ. And he who began it will see it through. And that fills us with confidence. I can't stand it when I see Christians without confidence. Because what does that say about your trust in Jesus Christ? You're basically telling me he can't do it. That's what you're saying. Oh, I don't think this is going to happen. Oh, no, it's, going to, it's never going to work. Why not? Do you not believe that Christ can do anything? It may be the wrong thing you're doing and it may be a flop. But that's not because of a lack of confidence. That should never be because of a lack of confidence. That's a lack of discernment. But if we are doing what God wants us to do in our own lives, in his church, then he has all the abilities the resources to bring the outcome that he wants. And we need to be confident. I'm tired of hearing about churches that are just, oh, you know, it's all closing, the community's all changed, there's no Christians anymore around. Well, duh. Aren't you supposed to go and make disciples? It's the whole idea, isn't it? Anyway. But they just get together and it's so negative. Instead of being confident in Christ and what Christ can do. And the second thing we need to be is confident. The third thing is this, let's carry on reading. Verse 7. 
It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. The third thing is a love for one another. We are God's church. We're the bride of Christ. So we have a love for one another. Paul says, I have a personal commitment to you. I have you in my heart. It's right for me to feel this way because I have you in my heart, he says in verse 7. You know when you've got someone in your heart, you just can't stop thinking about them. They're there. You wake up thinking about them, you go to bed thinking about them, they're always there. People say to me, you know, oh, I hope you had a good holiday. Yeah, it's great, thank you. And then they say, I hope you forgot all about us. I'm like, how can I do that? When I knelt down on that spot right about there, 15 years ago, and was ordained in this church, inducted into this church, I have one prayer. I don't know what other people were praying, they're all holding hands and people are praying over me. I wasn't really listening, to be honest, because I was talking with Jesus. And I said, Lord, help me to love these people. I don't want to be the best. I don't want to, you know, just help me to love them. If I can love them, then everything else will follow. Now, sometimes I've regretted that prayer. I have to confess. Sometimes it's been tough. Because it's hard to love sometimes. And love is costly and painful. And yet, Trinity Church is in my heart. And so when I'm in Holland and I'm going for a walk, what am I thinking about for 16 kilometers? Trinity Church, because it's there. It's like saying, you know, go away, go, go away on holiday and forget about your wife. Well, I can't. She's there. I mean, she's right there normally, but, you know, she, even if I went away on my own, she's there in my heart. I don't forget about her. I don't forget about my children just because they don't come with us. And we need that same love for one another that you carry this family in your heart. Wherever you go, you're giving thanks to God for this family because they're there in your heart. Hearts on this side. Don't know what's on this. Anyway. (laughs) Never any good at biology. But he's saying, have that same affection. Have that heart. Jesus said it, didn't it? By this we'll all know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. You know what the characteristic is? Have one another in your heart. We're not perfect. We're going to irritate. We're going to make you happy and joyful as well. It's part of life. But have us in your heart. Because then you have part of the soil for joy. And one last thing. Look at the end. He says, and this is my prayer, verse 9 that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The fourth thing he said you need is prayer. Prayer is vital. He prays for them. This is my prayer for you. First, that you overflow in love. I went, uh, when I was younger, I remember going out for a, uh, 
one of those fancy meals with my parents. I was kind of like in my teens, I think, early teens. Fancy restaurant, really nice food. And my dad was picking up the bill, so it was good. <laughs> so I'm sitting there, and I remember quite distinctly that uh, when it came to the, uh, you know, they come round and teas or coffees after you filled everything. Why you want coffee late at night so you can't sleep? I don't know, but anyway, we were there. I went, yeah, coffee, please. That would be great. And we all had coffees. And the guy came with this, you know, one of these posh things for coffee. And my mum started chatting to him. And as she's chatting to him, he's pouring the coffee. And because it's one of those posh places, you don't get a proper cup, do you? You get like half a cup. Like, because it's posh. It's twice the price, but half the size. And he's pouring like this, and he's chatting with her. And the three of us, me, my brother and my dad, are just looking. And the coffee fills up the cup. And then the saucer. And then the tablecloth. And then it's starting to go on the floor. And he's still chatting with my mum like this. And we're just looking. And finally, out the corner of his eye, he sees us, like, kind of with our mouths open as we're edging our chairs back from the table. Oh, my goodness, he goes. And then he has to try and make an apology and, you know, and clean everything up. And there's coffee everywhere. That is the kind of love that Paul prays for. That it overflows like that coffee cup. Not just in the saucer, not just on the tablecloth, but that it goes all over the floor and that it keeps on overflowing. That's what Paul prays for. My prayer is that your love may abound more and more. That it's just going to flow everywhere. Indiscriminately, over people's laps, all over the place, your love will flow. And that you will continue to grow in knowledge. And that you will have increasing discernment. Why? Because then you'll be pure and blameless. You'll have a fruitful life. And you'll be praising and glorifying God. Prayer is one of the cornerstones of the joyous life. That relationship with Christ. Those four things he says we need if we want joy in our lives. A life of thanksgiving, of confidence in God, of affection for one another and of prayer. Prayer for love, for knowledge and discernment. Let me ask you a question or a few questions as we just wrap up this morning. As you go through your week, ask yourself this. How much of what comes out of your mouth is positive thanksgiving and how much is negative? Log that one in the back of your mind this week. Just for you. If you're here with your partner, it's not their business to tell you. Just for you. Just try and think about it. How much of what I'm going to say is going to be positive? How much is negative? Is it thanksgiving? Is it thankful? Or is it not? Second, how confident are you in what God is doing through you and through us together? Do you talk about it? Are you confident of it? I was talking to a friend the other day, former colleague. Telling him, when Trinity Church gets to be 500 members and 1,000 members, 
Stick your neck out there. That's when you know when you're confident. When you talk about it to someone else. Because they may go, you're ridiculous. You're being silly. It's never going to happen. You'll be the largest church in the URC. You know, so? But that's what God's told us. That's why I'm confident. It's not because I'm confident in me or in you, necessarily. It's because I'm confident in him. And he has told us that's what's going to happen. And I'm confident in him. Third, how much do you love the family at Trinity? And have you ever asked God to help you love them more? While you're here, this is your spiritual home. These are your brothers and sisters around you. You need to learn to love them with that overwhelming, abounding love. And lastly, number four, love, knowledge and discernment. How often do you pray about those things? Because Paul, that's from the uppermost in his mind when he's praying for his brothers and sisters. What about you? We're in a partnership with Christ. And he wants us to have joyous lives. He's offering joyous lives. He's given everything that we need to have lives full of joy. Joy that overwhelms, that comes out of us regardless of circumstances around us. Do you want it? If you do, then ask him as we're going through the book of Philippians. As we experience the joy of Paul who was in prison who didn't know whether his life was going to end tomorrow or not, ask him to fill you with that same joy, to do the work in you, to prepare the soil in you, so that you may have that joy too. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you and praise you. Because you long for us to have joy in our lives, to be joyous people. You said it right from Genesis to Revelation. And you've given us everything we need to be joyous, to be positive, to be upbeat, to, be, to live lives to the full. I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And yet so often we're guilty. We're guilty of, of like we saw in the video, of taking second best. Of having friends on a phone, but no friends really. Of enjoying moments on our own, but no joy with people. And just as that is so popular, joy is what people are looking for. Love and joy in this world. And we have it in abundance. Grow it within us. That that may overflow. And we may share it with others. Teach us from your word. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.